Welcome to episode three of the podcast, A Real Page Turner, where today Donnie and I are going to talk about the book and movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. Hi, Donnie. Hello, Mara. Uh, this was a, an interesting one to review since it seemed very different, which we'll get into. But the book Breakfast at Tiffany's was written by Truman Capote, and it was written in 1958. And really, it's a novella, so not too long. And it was adapted into a movie in 1961 starring Audrey Hepburn and directed by Blake Edwards. Yes, the movie was a considerable success it had uh, it was known for its well-known cast including Audrey Hepburn and George Papard and Martin Balsam and Patricia Neal and Jed Clampett himself Buddy Epson and it also features performance if you could call it that by Mickey Rooney which we will get into later yes <laughs> yes it was critically acclaimed. It earned uh, several Oscar nominations, including a Best Actress nomination for Audrey Hepburn. It won two Oscars for its original score and the original song, uh, Moon River. So yeah, so it was very, very popular. And it, yeah. you know, it represents like kind of a landmark in film history, like especially fa- fashion-wise. Audrey Hepburn was known for popularizing the, the little black dress, the LBD, and yep. the image of her with the really long cigarette holder, which I guess was a thing back then, uh, <laughs> you know, it was an iconic image. Yes. Very posh. Yeah. We weren't sure what, uh, what book and film we were going to do next. And we kind of thought we were kind of brainstorming and I said, what about breakfast at Tiffany's? <laughs> it was a great Sorry. song. Yes. I, I, <laughs> I had to make reference to that song. Um, yes. And so this one was vastly different, I thought. I had neither read this story nor seen this movie. And I feel like it's one of those movies that everybody has seen and talks about, but I had not seen it. And when I read the story, I had to go back to the story to see, like, did I miss something when I was watching the movie? Because there were so many differences. And I don't think better or worse, right? Because the movie itself was good and the story itself is good. It just didn't really follow along, which I think if we look at was something based on, adapted to, or inspired by, when we look at movies that have those categories, what does that mean? You know, I don't think there's a lot of difference between adapted and inspired. I mean, and adapted and um, based on, based on, and based on. So it doesn't seem like there's too much of a difference on that. I think it's the inspired by that gives people a little bit more, I think, leeway or freedom or, you know, the, the reader or watcher doesn't feel that need to have it so closely follow the original story. Now, Breakfast at Tiffany's in the credits, it does say based on, which I think is very, it's a liberal based on in the story. And I don't know if that's something that you would agree with. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that filmmakers took some, you know, several liberties and there's several notable uh, changes that we'll be getting into. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the obvious things that I saw was that the protagonist, well, one of the protagonists, so the writer right. who they give a name to, I mean, in the movie, which I, his name is escaping me. It's like Varnick. Paul, um, Paul Varnick. Paul Varnick. And in the book, he's never has a name. He's an unnamed narrator. You know, I had to go back and look at that a few times. I'm like, did I miss his name? And what I liked about the book so much is 
when you open the book and you start reading it, I actually thought it was an introduction him telling us why he decided to write this story, Dream Kabodi. And it was the unnamed narrator telling us about writing this story. And I thought it was really cool the way it like drew me in as the reader and was almost conspiratorial. Like he was telling us this story that he couldn't decide he was going to tell or not about this woman that he knew, which is completely different than how the movie opens. And he's kind of getting out of his car and he's, she's uh, meeting him because in the book, you know, she kind of, he's already living in that apartment when he meets her. So I thought that was really interesting what they did with his character, because I feel like in the book, he is much more, he's not as suave or debonair or accomplished because he doesn't have a book published in the, in the book. He's really kind of a struggling writer. Whereas in the movie, he's having an affair with the decorator who doesn't exist in the book. Um, And he's kind of uh, almost like a little bit of a playboy. Yeah. Like it's funny in in the movie that there's that scene where they're like prance about town and they go to the library and she wants to check out the book he's written and she's like pumping it up and saying, it's like, Oh, he's, he's the writer. He wrote this. And I say, yeah. So you're coming from two different worlds, uh, you know, a, accomplished writer versus a struggling writer. So obviously that's going to be a major change in character for him. Yeah. And the other thing that they really took out in the movie was the the scenes at Joe Bell's bar. I feel like in the book, that was a very big part of it. It's where they met a lot. And Joe Bell was really kind of, he knew what was going on with each of them. But in the movie, yeah. they're kind of never really in Joe Bell's bar and he's not mentioned at all. And the one scene where they are in the bar, it's almost like, it's like a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> which was yeah. really odd to me in the movie. I was like, oh, okay, that that's different. Um, but they never really established that they had this kind of corner bar that they went to, which was a setting all in itself in that. So I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, that was one of my first thoughts after finishing the movie. I was, where's Joe? Like, right. he, he wasn't in it at all. And, and it's funny, you mentioned about like them going to the, strip club and i kind of i kind of feel that like blake edwards was trying to make you know holly golightly this is very quirky character so like the fact that she would have a cavalier attitude towards this was very on point for her character in in the movie she was kind of prone to talking fast and telling going on these long monologue type speeches and saying these things like she's probably one of the quirkiest characters i've seen in in film so the fact that they would go to this gentleman's club and was kind of like speaks to her over the topness yeah and the other um interesting part when we talk about setting is that the book was really during the war was which was the 1940s and the movie moves it to the 1960s so there's no reference to war um, Holly's brother, Fred, who's killed in the war, is said to be, I think, killed in a Jeep accident. So there's no reference to, to the war or any backdrop to that, which was interesting. And they kind of just took that whole plot point or very small reference out of it. Yeah. I, like, I wonder what, uh, like, kind of what Truman Capote was doing. Was he using the war as just. <laughs> Sounds terrible, but an excuse to to kill off her brother and and give her give that uh, plot line. But it's definitely interesting how that's a major change going from a time span of like 15, 20 years. 
Yeah. Onto it. You know, I thought the character of Holly Golightly was pretty straightforward to the book. Like I felt like that stayed pretty true to it for the most part. Like I, I thought her character stayed pretty true. Yeah, I, I would agree. Her, yeah, like like I said, how like her character so uh, quir- quirky. I think in both in- instances. And one thing I thought was interesting that I felt was very similar between the two, and that mentioning when her brother was killed, her reaction to that, how in both, both she's hysterical and destroys her apartment and the same same thing. So I remember reading about that in the book and thinking, as like, oh, I wonder how they're going to do that in the movie. The movie. And then, because I thought that they're not going to make her too upset. Not too upset, but like they may hold back a little in the movie, but I felt it kind of was pretty even that the hysterical nature and obviously losing her brother is going to be a, a traumatizing event, but I thought they were, both reactions were pretty even. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think that the major difference with her character is in the end, right? They kind of have her turn, I don't know, turn around her attitude. And she, I think you could see it when she comes in and she's going to want to marry um, Jose, the Brazilian. And they have her like cooking him dinner, cooking um, the, uh, the author, the dinner and doing all of that. But she's kind of domesticated where in the book, they really never, she never becomes, for lack of a better word, like domesticated. She doesn't really ever settle down like that. And I think they set that up for, it seems like that's what's happening. And then at the end, she ends up wanting to kind of settle down in the movie. She kind of, you know, settles down with Paul. And that's where kind of a major departure from the book where we don't really know what happens to her. The author goes on with his life and doesn't really know what becomes of her. He speculates on a photograph that he's, that Joe Bell has from Africa, but you never really know what becomes of her where this movie, and I think probably because it's a movie and people like tidy endings that Um, they had to kind of wrap it up and show what was the outcome. So they made it a love story that ultimately had a happy ending. Yeah, it's very uh, Hallmark movie-esque. And yeah, because that's true that with movies, you see that a lot as they like to tie up loose ends and books can be a mixed bag. There's several books that have open-ended endings and movies are kind of more more rare in that regard. And it's it's funny because in the final scene, it had... It has uh, Holly and Paul and embracing with with the cat and and in the rain and that scene that scene is actually like depicted on the movie poster so it's kind of funny that it's you it was used to sell the film when it was a complete uh, departure from the from the book so yeah and what's interesting is that they kind of when they have the scene in Tiffany's where Paul is looking at the ring box that he got in the Cracker Jack box that they are that is the ring at the end that they are trying to get engraved like that whole scene like never really happens and there's never a ring but I think what's interesting in the book is that the gift that he gives her is the Medal of St. Christopher, who is the patron saint of all travelers. And I believe she refers mm. to herself as like a traveler and she's always going somewhere. So the, that symbolism in the story helps us see that she's never going to settle down with the patron saint. That she obviously, lo- I think she loses it too, 
the metal, but she gives him the birdcage that you never really see in the movie, and except in the beginning, when there is a kind of a nod to that. If you notice in the apartment, when he first goes into her apartment, there is the birdcage. And oh. that, that's what she gives him in the book is the birdcage with a promise that he'll never keep anything living inside of it, which it is symbolic that she doesn't want to be trapped or caged in the book, but the movie kind of really definitely like departs from that. And I'm not saying it's good or bad because the movie is obviously iconic and people love it and they love Aubrey Hepburn in that role, but it's definitely a departure and some of that symbolism in the story doesn't really translate into the movie. Yeah, that is true. It's funny. I, I didn't even pick up on that about with the birdcage being in, in her apartment. But obviously, you know, it is an iconic film, except for one regard. <laughs> yes, let's go there. Yes. Mickey Rooney is a fine actor. He was a, a Hollywood legend, but this was not one of his better performances. And there's been a lot of talk about it this he plays a japanese character and with like the most over the top and offensive stereotypes i think it, it's kind of been regarded as one of if not the most racist character in film history and it's just it's kind of mind-boggling like obviously you can look back and say you know oh it's the sign of the time the time period it was in and but even back then i think it it still got a lot of a uh, backlash to it in fact the funny thing is this movie was saved on my dvr for months and i it was on it had aired on turner classic movies and the reason they were airing it was because of this they were doing this series where they were looking back at problematic films and characters and kind of discussing them and they had the hosts of tcm like discussing them afterwards so it's funny i remember what watching that and they mentioned that the old host of the TCM, uh, the late Robert Osborne, had been asked a question where they said, if you could change one character from a film, who, like the casting, who would it be? And without missing a beat, he goes, Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. So just a uh, little tidbits there. Yeah, the character, it, one, it was obviously it was very slapstick. Mr. Uniashi in the movie yeah. was very you know, slapstick humor, stereotypical. And I was reading up on this is that Mickey Rooney later said he regretted playing him as he did. Yes. So it's, it, I think it's interesting that that is kind of the common criticism, if you will, of this movie, that that character would have been done differently by many people. Yeah. Yes. You know, um, obviously it's, you know, racism in, in films is not, is not a new thing and all these kind of been around and, so yeah, and the other that thing that I thought was interesting is that they when we talked about we talk about Sally Tomato in the movie, the author goes with her, the writer goes with her to Sing Sing to see Sally Tomato, yeah. which never happens in the book. Sally Tomato is kind of a bad character who's not doesn't have a lot to do with anything. I mean, you maybe see her having a conversation with him and, and Mr. O'Shaughnessy, but you know, he's never really a character. And I, I think it's interesting that in the movie they even kept that whole thing in because they never tied it off at the end right so like you never got that whole kind of vibe and story about what was going on with sally tomato and mr o'shaughnessy you got a little bit of it but 
it was very kind of undersold. And at the end, you have to wonder when they're like riding off to the sunset together is what happened to that storyline, right? Like she's not running from the law anymore. She, you know, that kind of never goes anywhere. We're in the book, you know, that she's fleeing because she is going to be, she was part of like the criminal enterprise unwittingly or not with Sally Tomato and O'Shaughnessy. So I thought that I'm I'm kind of curious why they just didn't leave that whole storyline out in the movie, that it just doesn't make her, you know, she's just not getting her money by kind of, you know, going to the ladies room and getting tips and kind of trying to marry rich, which is interesting you know, because they never really take that storyline anywhere in the movie. I was actually expecting them to, at the end, re- kind of have her fly away. I was not expecting them to end up together. Yeah, I, I guess that the romance kind of took precedence for the filmmakers. And just like, it, it, it's funny, it's kind of like kind of contradicting myself with saying it's like, oh, they like, uh, they like to tie up loose ends in movies. They do. Which they do in in regard to the romance, but not so much in this. So I guess this is kind of leaving open and open ended there. And I guess maybe they were looking at kind of the target audience. People who would enjoy this movie would be more interested in the uh, the romance, and instead of this, that they're okay leaving that alone. Yeah, and I think and, and speaking of like the romance part, like I don't know if you noticed, but in the movie when she talks about her marriage to doc when they say you know she was 14 and in the movie she says it was annulled and not that it was she was 14 and it doesn't count so in the book she she never uses the word annulled she said well i was only 14 and it didn't count which is creepy right (laughs) and and you get that but in the movie she specifically says it was annulled, which makes me think it's kind of a sign of the times and the people wanting to give her a little bit more of a moral standing to have a relationship with Paul, the writer in the book, that they are, you know, mm-hmm. going to have this lovely life together afterwards at the end when they when she has the ring and everything. So she specifically says it's annulled in the movie, but never says that in the book and just focuses on, like, I was too young, I was 14, it didn't count. Yeah, it's kind of... Interesting. Like I found it like kind of strange with the casting of Buddy Epson in there. And his character is very like is kind of like this almost like sad sack almost. And also like obviously like marrying her when she's 14 is like two tons of creepy, but like they don't play him as this kind of like like creeper. He's he's played as just this this man pining for her and and I guess maybe that is the kind of a sign of the times that nowadays, if that was a storyline, the, the character would be just the ultimate creep and scumbag. But, right. Like a predator. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but yeah. so it's just interesting watching it through 2021 eyes. <laughs> it is. And also the, the, I did the decorator, right? Like I don't, they had, she had an affair with Paul and was going to pay him off, like was writing him a check. Like it, it just made it seem like he was this playboy that went around just trying to take money from women, which was really a departure from his character in the book. Um, You know, he really didn't have any money or, and he certainly wasn't having an affair with anybody. So I thought that was really strange. You know, I don't know why the choice was to bring her to add that character into the movie and make him seem more sophisticated than he was. I don't know. Um, But I did think that was a pretty big difference. 
Yeah, I guess it could be to, you know, updating his character. As we mentioned that in the movie, his character is much more successful career-wise and tried to give him that if he was a struggling writer, that plotline really wouldn't work. (laughs) So they kind of had to go along with it, I guess. Yeah, but I did enjoy each separately. Yeah, I I did. You know, I did like them both. It was pretty even. And obviously, we've had some discussions on things that we didn't that we didn't like. But but yeah, I think I think they both were they both were good. And I think if um, I didn't read the story, I probably would really like the movie because you don't know any of that when you watch the movie. If you haven't read the short story, the novella by Capote, you you don't know what you're what the differences are, which I guess is the same for any movie. But I feel yeah. like Breakfast at Tiffany's, I actually didn't even know was a was a was a novella. Yeah, like I think the movie is takes some more comedic tone and more, and I've heard it described that the book is more of a cautionary tale, whereas the movie. The movie is kind of just this tale of a free-spirited woman. Yeah. And I think the party scene like shows that. Like, yeah, certainly. <laughs> you know, you have Paul crawling on the floor between someone's legs and dancing. Yeah. The girls are dancing around and everybody's drinking and having a good time when he goes to answer the phone and very different than what you see and what yeah. you read in the book. But effective that it shows you that they're, they're having a good time. Like this is a party crowd and they're having a good time. Yeah. And that's. One of the instances with with film is that show and not tell that a scene like that really like doesn't work all too well in a book, you know, like, right. yeah, you can you can write about people having a good time. But with the film medium, you can just show it. And that's that's what I learned in screenwriting courses and <laughs> show don't tell. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So any other thoughts or discuss- topics you wanted to discuss? Oh, that's about it. It's a, the book is a good, nice read. Obviously, it's only a novella, so it's not very, it's an easy read. And and the movie, I mean, is, is good too. You know, certainly has its place in film history. Yeah, and I actually expected them to be having breakfast at Tiffany's. I did not know that no. it was like her own private, that, that's what she did was look at the windows and kind of go there for peace and quiet, which without seeing those things, I wouldn't have known that. But by the title, I just thought, oh, like, (laughs) but it really, it was kind of aspirational that that's where she went to have some peace and quiet, although she really never bought anything there. Yeah. (laughs) Which was, which was interesting. I don't know. Do they have food at at Tiffany's? I've never been. I don't don't recall. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if they have food at Tiffany's, but Okay. Yeah, that's it's an interesting title. And I did like the opening scene of the movie when she was walking down the street in her mm-hmm. fancy dress and standing in the window, kind of gazing at the jewelry. I did I did really like that opening scene. Yeah, it was a very effective opening. It's one of the most like famous scenes in the movie. And her in that dress is obviously a pop culture staple. Yeah, absolutely. So that was uh Breakfast at Tiffany's. Thank you all for listening. Yes, uh, thanks everyone, and we'll see you next week.